0: Hello and welcome back to Subspace Radio. I am Rob, and with me as always is Kevin.
1: It's me, Kevin.
0: And we are here to talk about Star Trek. We get together with a dear, trusted friend and talk about our feelings about it.
1: There were definitely some feelings in this week's episode there was of Star Trek.
0: So many feelings, so many Easter eggs. I hope lower decks are taking notes about how many Ooh, Easter yeah. eggs you can drop in a single episode. We're talking about episode six of season three of the card, The Bounty.
1: The Bounty. And I was kicking myself at the end going, I can't believe I did not look twice at that title and realize that we were going to be revisiting Star Trek IV.
0: We are.
1: In this week's episode of Star Trek Picard, we have the promised infiltration of Daystrom Station that we picked last episode, and they well and truly fulfilled that promise. And while that little team, that Black Ops team, is infiltrating that station, Picard and the rest of the crew of the Titan are pulled away and visit the Fleet Museum, led up by Commodore Geordie LaForge and his other daughter,
0: Played by his real daughter.
1: Played by his real-life daughter. Yes, indeed. And we spend a little bit of a little bit of fan service time flicking through the collection of the S- Starfleet Museum. Look,
0: it's a it's a nostalgia war on two fronts because not only are we given the feels at the Starfleet Museum, but we're given these little tantalizing hints on station as well. So it's just. We are bombarded with all these yeah. Easter eggs.
1: There's nostalgia on in both the A story and the B story. Both of them end up in a very nostalgic place.
0: Exactly. So the Titan is on the run. They've been given a little bit of time by the sacrifice of Rome. And they have escaped and they're being hunted down, pursued by Starfleet, which has been infiltrated by the changelings.
1: And we meet up with Worf and Rafi. They all come together, and the waiting for them to show up is another excuse to have some deep and meaningful conversations. And we get to learn about Picard having passed along, apparently, his Eremotic Syndrome to his son, Jack
0: exactly the
1: effect that's having on everyone
0: and yes we it was making those connections strong there but also making us wait for that moment of finally wharf being in the same space as some of his original crew and gosh do they lay it on thick and fast and beautifully we hear the wonderful Klingon music played as he beams on over.
1: It's laying it on a little thick this episode. I have to say, on on first viewing, every single one of them delighted me. On second viewing, I'm like, come on, you can write some original
0: music. I, th- I think I did count about 87 music cues in this episode. That's right.
1: <laughs> it's Every time the camera cut to another character, it switched to their music yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or their movie.
0: Or, or ship yeah. or whatever it is, they just yeah, hit yeah. it. Yes, I particularly loved it. Just that reconnection, you know he's not a I'll go, yes, I like this. And he goes, I'm practicing pacifism. Great moment from Michael Dawn. Dorn. Michael Dawn's been given all the zingers this this episode, this season.
1: The sour mead. The, the sour, sour mead The sour mead because... line. It's and,
0: quite tart. It's sir. quite tart, sir. And then the line about pacifism. And Riker goes, Really? And he goes, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> just the look of it. I said it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and later on, there is the is there a reset button?
1: Yeah, they they are writing Wharf exactly right, and it's working every time.
0: It's a great joy to, and this is what we've been hanging out for. This is what we've been waiting for, and done on a on good terms to see see these characters back and connect.
1: Beverly Crusher seems to be the hug committee this episode. <laughs> she her job on the ship is to hug people as they arrive in the transport. She's had
0: a soft lead now, so she's been given the right to actually share emotions and hug. Yeah.
1: I know it's like Jordy comes on and he makes that very tongue-in-cheek speech where he's like, I was trying to decide whether to be super formal or to give everyone an overdue hug. And he goes for the hug, but only Bev gets the hug. Everyone yeah. else gets an implied hug.
0: Tell you what, though. Oh, LeVar Burton. Is there anyone more in line for a sainthood?
1: They're letting him use his eyes fully. This yes, time? they
0: like, are very blue, obviously, yeah. but off- God, he's good. Oh, my heavens. Oh, LeVar Burton, please. Just stop being incredible. I never stop being incredible.
1: <laughs> uh, I feel like on the one hand, I agree with you, but this left me wanting more. I thought Geordi's storyline and his concern for his family, trying to talk his daughter out of putting herself in harm's way and being upset at Picard for putting his family in peril, like... All of that stuff just barely landed for lack of time for me. Like, it moved so quickly. Jordy's arc felt underserved. I feel like maybe they felt they they shot about twice as much material and cut it back to the bare essentials here, which on the one hand is a shame, but I guess I'd rather be left wanting more than feeling like we were wallowing in it.
0: Yeah, and it's also a case of this this was always going to be the trouble when you're bringing back, like, nine cast members, and no matter how many hours of television streaming time you have, it's going to be tricky to find that balance of everyone getting enough time and or cramming in too much in a short amount of time. And especially because we took quite a while. We started with just Picard and Riker and Seven, and there was that episode two, which was just laying groundwork and kind of treading water a bit. So now we're at the sticky end we are where we're looking at things going we've only got three ups to go
1: i counted troy got all of two words in this episode yes so yes of of all of our cast i feel like they have all now been given a chance to shine except for troy so she is going to have to play a pretty pivotal role in the last couple of episodes of this season in order to to feel like she got her due here
0: exactly let's go straight to i think the God, yeah, I think the first one was the little hint of Easter eggs on Daystrom Station. So we got the Genesis device. Hmm. We got Kirk is there for some Kirk's reason. body.
1: We got the genetically modified triple.
0: Yes, that looks very- Which
1: is almost an animated series reference.
0: And a little bit horrifying, as in completely <laughs> horrifying. And we've got a... I've watched the episode twice, and the linguistic grammatical like vocabulary gymnastics that everybody is going through to explain the fact that they have got an aged up Brent Spiner playing data. And they're going, Oh my gosh, they're doing so many loop to loops to explain this.
1: I feel like it's all going to be worth it because like they would not be going to all this trouble unless there was a big payoff. And my understanding here is the big payoff is they put Brent Spiner back in a position of playing A character like Data in a way where his, uh, just like the rest of the cast, his present real world age is explained in the story. And we can get back to enjoying having Data on adventures with us. That presupposes that this crew, these characters are going to continue on past this story. Well, but yeah. I feel like they are making an investment in that possible future here by doing this very heavy lifting from a plot perspective to justify, oh, Alton Sung, good scientist, is dead, by the way, died off screen. And one of his dying thoughts was, it would have been selfish of me to put myself in, my, in the cybernetic body I built. That would be... Bad science and bad humanity. That the line he says is evolution is not preservation or conservation, it is addition. Yeah. And so adding all of these different family members of Sung into one body that that can carry the line forward. That is a much more noble pursuit, a much more scientific achievement than selfishly prolonging his own life would have been. And I'm thinking, gosh, that is unbelievably unselfish. Gosh, I would not blame Alton for grabbing that that last body and running with it.
0: Look, yeah, it's a lot of heavy, a lot of heavy lifting. I we've been talking about the heavy lifting of justification of just a British accent this season. (laughs) So to justify the fact that yeah, Brett Spine is old. Yeah. We can't do this without him. And also, we need to keep him interested. So let's give him split personalities because Brett Spiner's the quality of actor who couldn't just want to play the one character. He goes, Oh, you've got to give yeah. me something challenging to do.
1: But it's like I always say, Rob, if the story is worth it, if what we get from the characters is worth it, I will suspend disbelief all day long. Oh, and getting to see Brett Spiner in a moment shift from oh, data it, it's a masterclass. to lore. To be 4 to soon. And each one of them landed. Like each one of them, I went, You are instantly in that character. You didn't even have to tell me who that was. It was instantly recognizable. He's just I, sitting there. I was like, he's just, Okay,
0: cool. All is forgiven. He's just sitting on a couch. He's just sitting yeah. there, just whipping in and out, doing it on multiple takes on different angles. Oh, there's no denying the masterclass of a performance it is. I'm just, that air of cynicalism is with me no matter where I go. But to have that joy of seeing Picard, but especially LeVar Burton acting his socks off when he sees... That, and even Riker as well. Freaks did a great job as well when they see their old friend in this yeah. new form and just yeah. the smile on LeVar Burton's face of going,
1: And Picard is all, I'm glad they are acknowledging it out loud. The very first thing is, we've seen this guy die twice, twice. now. And A that's weird. We should say that out loud. Great. But also what does that do to us emotionally? Yeah. Do we want to go through this again? Is it worth it?
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it's not exactly the person that they know. It's it's a mixture of other presence. And so that's an emotional state for them as well.
1: Once we got into that room with Brent Spiner and we had the reveal, it was good from then on. The stuff leading up to it, I had questions. The idea that Data has been plugged into the Matrix to be the security system of Daystrom Station. Questionable even as a premise. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure, by the way, in that scene when they first beam in and... Worf is casually like swapping the chips while the rest of the team is like writhing in pain on the ground, which was enjoyable to watch. Just cool, Worf. But when he plugs in the chip and the system resets, it's a woman's voice that the computer is speaking with. But when it glitches, one of the glitches I'm pretty sure is Brent Spiner saying, Thank you. <laughs> so it's just a hint. But then we get the crow. Yes. Which for fans, for like big TNG fans, it was like, ooh, is that Data's crow? There's no other prominent crow in all of Star Trek history. Mm. So I was immediately thinking Data, but I don't know why Riker would be thinking Data. Like, we got to watch all of Data's dreams, but the rest of the crew, the Enterprise, didn't. So unless Riker watches a lot of Star Trek The Next Generation, which we know he does watch a bit of Star Trek Enterprise on the holodeck. So <laughs> who knows? Maybe he's been reviewing his own historical tapes as well. Very but nice, it just Kevin like just Very, very they, nice. They were breaking the fourth wall a little bit there with yep. Riker recognizing the crow. And then we have Moriarty. And at this point, I kind of went, look, I am enjoying this because it's silly. But it is very silly. <laughs> When they were setting up the station, they said that this security system was, quote, breathtakingly lethal. Yeah. And what we saw of breathtakingly lethal was a holographic crow, a Moriarty with a old fashioned pistol. That fires live bullets. Missing every shot and not a whole lot else. There was nothing very breathtaking about the lethality of the security system for me. If anything, it was it was breathtakingly confusing.
0: Fair enough, too. Yeah, it was very much just a spannering nostalgia hit.
1: And so much of this felt like it was there to confuse the fans in the trailers like we saw in the trailer. We saw Moriarty. Moriarty would be a part of the season. We saw in the trailers that Lore would be a part of the season. And those things had been set up as having a presence in the season. And their presence in a trailer, I think, oversold them. So that we were expecting coming into this season that somehow Lauren Moriarty and who knows who else got together and formed a band of villains and were coming against our crew. That's like what we were expecting. And Moriarty, it turns out. Was just a cameo. Just a
0: cameo. Beautiful little cameo and uh, great work from Mr. Daniel Davis. Great to have you back. Anytime to see him on screen is a joy.
1: And Laura Laura seems likely to play a bigger part in the rest of this season to me. Yeah, because he's survived this episode. But I feel like Moriarty's appearance in the trailer was almost more powerful than his presence in this episode yeah very much and when you're putting things in your episodes in order to create a good trailer i feel like you're a little off
0: track <laughs> okay so we then flip back to the fleet museum
1: i was just gotta say sorry before we flip back yep. to the fleet museum one more thing that flashback to encounter at far point when Riker is recognizing the notes and then they give us just enough of the tune to to think, is that Pop Goes the Weasel? Where have I heard Pop Goes the Weasel before? And they cut to young Riker stumbling on the rock. Yep. Ah, my heart exploded. My TNG-loving heart exploded. Encounter Farpoint, not the best episode no. of Star Trek. It's pretty clunky as a two-hour bloated introduction to this crew. But that moment in the holodeck where Riker meets Pinocchio is <laughs> is pure... It is pure. I will leave it at that. It is a pure moment, and that they like without warning threw us back into that moment. Every fan of TNG instantly recognized it. That that was good. That was probably the high point of the episode. Oh, and
0: the, the cut to very young Brent Spiner just looking and uh, admiring the whistle of yeah. from th- over thirty years ago, and just saying marvelous. My
1: partner was very annoyed that Riker completing the melody with his whistle was out of tune, <laughs> that, that they had so, so mm. leaned on the fact that he had perfect pitch in recognizing all of the notes that he could not whistle in tune with what had been established. was That was a bit of a, heart, of a heartbreaker. Right.
0: But. And that's a part of drama, Kevin, isn't it? The heartbreak that you know you know and you recognize all of it, but when you have to do it yourself... You're just off-key just by a little. It's heartbreaking. So the other
1: big dose of nostalgia was the Fleet Museum. And while Picard and Geordi were sitting together at the conference table swapping fatherly advice, we had Jack and Seven on the Bridge of the Titan casually flicking through the historical archives and spotting ships. What did you think of that?
0: Oh, of course. The first one up, we hear music sting, music sting, music sting, music sting. So, of course, we hear music sting again of that sweet Deep Space Nine tune as the defiance there. <laughs> the New Jersey. I just like Jersey. I, I can't say New Jersey. I have to say New Jersey. I'm not so that must be a classic series.
1: That is pure Terry Metalis. Terry Metalis grew up in New Jersey, and the registry number of that ship is his birth year. So that is not a reference that's to that's not a reference Cannon. to anything. That's just for the That thing. is just a reference to Terry Metalis. <laughs> You know, um, they do that in Star Trek a lot, where they'll give you, like, two familiar references and then a weird one from Planet Xenar 7. Right. That was the New Jersey this episode. They had to throw one in that we didn't recognize in order to make the universe seem a little bit bigger. Because otherwise, this fleet museum is really just a collection of the ships we have seen in the audience and it makes the universe feel quite a bit small but that's
0: the thing i mean but you know the characters that we have been associated with are always there in those big key moments that's what lower decks is for to be there going the california class are doing the the odd the shit kicker jobs as it were
1: i did want them to at least try to justify the new jersey oh the new jersey that fought that battle or that was there on that fateful day they just said oh it's the new jersey (laughs)
0: that's a really good ship Uh, it was great to finding out jack has a love for the for for the retro design the classic streamline ships yeah
1: i'm not sure i bought it but i guess someone had to be like i am glad that they justified giving us a long, slow look at that Enterprise A from the movies, because that is my favorite ship. I, too, am a Constitution class man <laughs> at the end of the day, and I'm not sure I buy Jack being. In fact, seven, seven is surprised that someone who didn't grow up in Starfleet would know all of these ships, so at least they talked about it, but uh, I, I guess... Yeah, The the ends justify the means here for me. It
0: is an odd choice of, it did seem a bit like, okay, we've got this list of cast who will fit in here with Seven.
1: Yeah. It could have been almost anyone. Yeah.
0: Like um, they're going, would have been better to be Sydney because Sydney Mm. does have a relationship with Seven and she's a pilot and there hasn't been, oh, there's been a little bit of moments of trying to build up some sort of connection between Jack and Seven, but not so much. Um, and we get to see a ship from my movie. We got to see the bird of prey as Worf describes later with superior Klingon technology.
1: In the ring, just behind it, another Klingon ship. And I believe if my research is right, that is meant to be the ship on which Chancellor Gorkon is assassinated at the start of Star Trek VI. Well, there you go. I'm not sure how Starfleet managed to hold on to all of these alien ships. There's a Romulan bird of prey uh, in in one of the rings as well. And I'm like, wow. Not only are are they like possessing these foreign assets, but they're letting it all hang out there by putting them on display. It's like the British Museum where they are showcasing artworks from their conquests. Oh, God.
0: They're going, oh, God, are you going to really make a colonial? Yes, it is. a. It's more of a colonial (laughs) It's a little bit. Yeah. And the moment that made me swell up when they kick in the Voyager. Yeah. And then you hear Jerry Goldsmith's incredible score just ding a little. And
1: Star Trek Four really got me. That the soundtrack of the Whale movie is so distinct. It is it is pure Star Trek, but the melody is completely unfamiliar. So when I went da, 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 da. Yeah. I was like, Oh my god, instantly back in that film. Bing 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 so bing, bing, bing,
0: bing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and
1: Voyager did it too for sure. What I like we've seen glimpses this season of seven being a ship nerd she's been like working on models quarters and it's never commented on but each time i've thought that is a strange hobby for seven of nine and she's got gold ships on her shelf and i'm like i've got some ships on my shelf too but i did not think (laughs) you were that kind of fan seven of nine but the fact that she of all the people is now sitting on the bridge like flicking through the fleet library like a nice little character detail
0: it's in um it incredible writing and incredible performance from Jerry Ryan as as well if if you haven't already picked up from the months and months of podcasting we've been doing, I'm a bit of a fan. Beautiful lines like Voyager, she earned her name further out than any other ship has. You go, oh my God, and you go, this is where I was reborn. And you go, oh my God.
1: So much and so little. Lines. Yeah, beautiful,
0: beautiful, poetic words in such a conversational way. It was.
1: I love how non-cynical Seven is becoming. They're letting her. They're letting her feel. They're letting her acknowledge the feelings she's having. She does not question it when Jack says, "Oh, we're all just looking for a family or a place to belong." She goes, "Yep, that's it." Yep.
0: And that line of "So like this was my family," and you Mm -hmm. just go, "That's a because especially Seven's connection with the Doctor and Janeway, those type of and uh, Noomi Wildman were (laughs) were family connections, familial connections, which she was she lost because of. Her real family being killed and assimilated, and then her assimilated family. So she's had this family connection with her the whole time, and it was very powerful. A lot of talk the about it. Bounty gives
1: us the cloaking device, which I noted two non engineers managed to integrate with the ship's systems remarkably well, remarkably quickly off screen.
0: Not well enough, though. So that's not a bit well of, enough, yeah, but enough to get it started.
1: The effect when it first activates and we see the cloaking effect from inside the bridge. Yes. Like Seven runs over to the workstation and the entire panel behind her kind of cloaks and uncloaks. I thought that was
0: amazing. Very well done. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And yes, there was a little bit of that play of I'm not putting my family at risk. This is my family. This that that whole talk yeah. about family was a massive part of this episode. And then the kids have stuffed up again. So therefore the old men have to come and sort it out. And LaForge giving the, yeah, yeah, Geordie giving the whole old man vibe, looking at Jack going, Hey, stay away from my daughter. What are you doing, slick? (laughs) And Sydney giving the whole, what are you doing here? Very cute. I
1: I have to say, I was disappointed Because as soon as I recognized that the episode was titled After the Bounty, and famously, that Klingon ship was commandeered by a Star Trek crew in Star Trek IV, I thought, they're doing it again. We have established that current Starfleet ships are all connected to each other. They're all trackable. So the Titan cannot do what we needed to do here. So
0: get on the bounty
1: get on the bounty, go on that bridge. I think the only reason they didn't do that is probably they ran out of set money and they could not rebuild that Klingon bridge. I was just about to
0: say it's a shame that the original interior of the Klingon Bird of Prey was actually an early 21st century bar (laughs) <laughs> oh look at this interior it's the same yeah. friggin bar we've been using yeah, for the last few years
1: right. <laughs> hang a few knives
0: on the hang wall hang a few and then, yeah. on there it's fine <laughs> a spinny chair it'll be great
1: it would have almost been worth it yeah just the thought of them and everything else that happens in that episode would have worked perfectly with them flying into Daystrom Station yep. surfing over the surface of it and beaming out the, the, the team just in the nick of time from that aging Klingon bird of prey. It would have been great. I'm so sad they didn't go there.
0: The reality of the real world coming in onto limiting you as a show. There's only so few, so many sets they've been using. And so
1: they do go back to that bar again. There is once they're again, back a, there a need again. for a stick, stiff drink, half an excuse for a stiff drink. And they're back on that set.
0: You can drink anywhere. You do not need to just go to <laughs> that specific holodeck to drink alcohol.
1: Yeah. I'm really mad at my dad, so I'm going to go drink in his bar.
0: So yes, Will has made, is it the ultimate and supreme sacrifice? He sacrificed himself so the others could get away. And now he's been taken by Vadik. Yes. Who had a typical, had a very cliched villain moment where um, she ordered the death of one of her crew who was insubordinate.
1: Yeah, it was good to see a bit more of her. I am still enjoying her performance, but I think the writing has gotten a bit thin.
0: She was very generic this week. I'm hoping we get a bit more time with her. If we have more time yeah. with the character, then we can get out of that cliched. It
1: was just very content poor. Like the All the stuff she was saying was just, I'm a villain, I'm a villain, I'm a villain. And it did not advance the plot. It didn't enrich the situation no. or raise the stakes really in any way other than, let's just reestablish how evil I am. Yeah. I will order the shooting of my own crew member. I also noticed at the end, when she appears in front of Riker and then kills the two Starfleet officers, that tells me that they were real Starfleet officers. Yes. So she was posing as one member of a three-person security crew, and then when she reveals herself, she kills the other two. The other two, they when she shoots them, they dissipate in that same sort of drifting red dust. Yeah. That Now I'm a little confused because I think we established at the start of the season that the dust that is left over from shooting people is a sign that they were changelings. Like that is when Riker and Picard come on board Crusher's ship at the start of the season, they go, oh, have you ever seen dust left over from a phaser shot like this? And they say, nope, never seen that before. Very weird. It seemed to me the only explanation was that is a sign that they are changelings. but. Now they're using that same visual effect for for anybody who are not changeling, so I'm a little confused. Does everyone have dust now, or is the dust just, is that red trailing effect just standard phaser now, and the dust is a separate thing?
0: Yeah, it is definitely a a glitch within the continuity of stuff that that hasn't really clarified that, because it has become that case of it's the default effect for anybody but being wiped out by a lethal phaser
1: well it's just like a set right they gotta reuse the cg effects they gotta
0: use this yeah and there we go (laughs) reality (laughs) seeping into our fantasy sci-fi world damn it they need the big star wars bucks apparently we had riker drop the uh, s-bomb he dropped a bit of a shit while being beaten up
1: yeah he did say he said how much of that goo shit did they pour into you yeah and I am not sure what he meant by that.
0: I have no idea either.
1: It seems to imply, I feel like maybe they may have shuffled the story around a bit here and that Riker's line there is left over from a time where we knew n- more about vadic's crew by now. Yes. Th- at this stage, there's all still behind masks. Vatik said something to one of her bridge crew as well of that they were half something. I didn't really catch it, but I get the sense that they're... At one point they had revealed more about her crew now yeah. than they have. And I hope they eventually fill us in because it would be weird. It's weird enough that Riker is commenting on this person's biology and we don't understand what he knows or how he knows it. I hope we at least know it by the end of this season, because those baddies have been wearing those masks for a long time now. I The whole season hiding
0: something good. Are they Mandalorians? They can't take their mask off. This is the mm. way. But yes, and of course, it all led up to the a tragic, horrifying reveal that they've got Troy. They've oh. got Troy or at least something that looks like something that looks like troy you can't tell with the changelings i think it's got to be troy
1: because they just they went out of their way to to show by the way we're changelings in case you forgot there's a lot of changeling going on here (laughs) these changelings are going to get you to talk uh and the reason is we've got troy
0: and yeah and vatic took a lot of time earlier on to say we need to find every. Oh, and what can I just say? Amanda Plummer's pronunciation of Jean Luc Picard.
1: Oh, yeah. She's insisting on that. The
0: Picard doesn't, mm-hmm. not the hard D, Picard, to focus on her saying, okay, we'll find out every single person that they could, he could turn to. We'll find them and seek them out. So, yeah, that's so much laying of the groundwork. It's Gotta be the real Troy. Plus, we've only got three episodes to go. Bring yeah, her in. Exactly.
1: She's gotta we gotta get her into it. Yeah. So I'm glad she's there, even though all she had to say was, oh, Will.
0: <laughs> but rewatching it the second time, there was a lot in there. Yeah, it hit the nostalgia things for me, but the war finally arriving on the bridge, finally Geordie getting back there. I there was a lot of stuff in there for me to really like. Oh, our god, we forgot to mention. Finally, we get to see Shaw. Show some respect for someone in a higher place, and of course, it's another engineer,
1: yeah, for sure. He also he gives like a nod of respect to the use of the word
0: burgle, burgle. yes, excellent <laughs> use
1: of the word burgle, sir. I, th- I thought that is weird, like it was so I weird, yeah, it is weird. It was very, it was a very strange tone shift,
0: yeah, but yes, to see, but
1: Shaw was okay with it, yeah,
0: I like the word burgle. I'm okay. going, all right, okay, let's let is there some sort of deep connection here. If you can find that out, Kevin, I'll be really appreciative.
1: I did not catch it. Um, Seven and Rafi's reunion. Also, uh, like Uh, there were a couple of moments in this and it was very,
0: Yeah, it was there. It they was... weren't
1: going to tell us what was going on. I think it's just going to be left unsaid, and somehow at the end of the season, they're going to be, yay, everything's fine. Let's get back together, and we're no. going to be expected to feel good about it, even though we don't, we
0: still don't understand what's going on with those two. Uh, they haven't earned anything. It's it's a nothing relationship. Seven can do so much better, seriously. <laughs> but yes, like, I even, love
1: even Jack understands her better. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I just, I love Shaw being very, it's actually an honor and they're all looking him going, what the hell? (laughs) And how? Yeah, it's ju- been a weird day. I'm there going, This is so cool. Yeah.
1: So yeah. So the big thing that that we pulled out of this episode was this infiltration mission. This going behind enemy lines, or like going into Days from Station, and the ship they depend on has to leave, and they're on their own. On their own. Sneaking into some place, and I thought, let's revisit a couple of examples of that happening in the past. It happens. Surprisingly infrequently, I think.
0: Yeah, I've pushed the boundaries of what the definition of this means just to fit within my type of justification. That's okay. Yeah,
1: I was thinking back, and these missions are a little bit Mission Impossible, and it is it is interesting to me that Mission Impossible was the other successful paramount franchise that came out of the 1960s in fact when star trek was canceled leonard Nimoy went and became a regular cast member on mission impossible
0: i do believe he was he became this like the master of disguise he was the yeah, one who was right. always the lead guy who could put the mask on and change into a different person
1: that's right he was like the ethan hunt for a while effectively mm-hmm. and it was I don't know if it's because Star Trek would become too Mission Impossible if we did too many of these kind of like spy missions. Maybe they don't want Star Trek to be about spycraft, but knowing there's a a potential Section 31 TV series coming down the lines, I do wonder what would a spycraft Star Trek series be? because. Most of the time when they do this stuff, it's an episode that gets my attention anyway.
0: Yeah. For me I'm always I've got a love hate relationship when it comes to section thirty one. And I'm yeah. there going they give it way too much importance. So they're going, oh, they know everything. They're connected everywhere. They know all that type of stuff. And- it's
1: that tension of if Starfleet is meant to be a force for good, and they keep endowing it as having this shadowy subsection that everyone knows about and does evil things. Then how good can Starfleet be anyway? Like there is an inherent conflict in that sure. in that setup. That the closer you get to it, the less believable it is.
0: And this is where we get into the a little bit of the fractionizing of that whole perception of the utopian world of where we are at the moment in society. There is a hopeful future where we will go beyond these petty things of discrimination and violence and poverty and disease and find this pure world of what we deserve to work towards and strive for that.
1: It's almost as if that Vulcan gangster was right, that utopia cannot exist without a bit of organized crime. Yes,
0: and when they start to bring in that fact of the balance of this and what sacrifices have to be made underneath. It makes it
1: much less powerful and inspiring as a vision of the
0: future. There is that, yeah. That's the whole—it's happening within the world of—I'll yeah. jump across to another franchise in Star Wars at the moment. They're focusing in The Mandalorian on the New Republic five years after Return of the Jedi— And so how the new Republic is just caught up in the same bureaucracy and diplomatic machinations that making it not too dissimilar to the empire they just overthrew. And that's a powerful comment as they do in Star Trek on modern society and how we, from one warfare to the next victory, history is written by the victors, but is there any real sense of good or bad, or is it all gray? Mm. And that's fascinating sci-fi stuff. But when you come to the world of Star Trek and Star Wars, which is that very clear black and white of what is good and what is bad, how much gray is welcome within this black and white world that doesn't dilute it away from what it originally was.
1: Yeah. I think the promise of Star Trek, though, is that you don't need to balance, that like, good can be self-sustaining. True. If you look after everyone then we can all end up on the same
0: side. Very beautifully said.
1: But anyway, infiltration missions. I did find a couple and I'm happy for you to bend the rules however you want. Thank
0: you. Uh, I've done some very- At the end
1: of the day, we're here to have fun talking about some old (laughs) episodes of
0: Star Trek. I was afraid that halfway through I'd get a, excuse me, Rob. That's not actually what we said. Not at all. That would be not yes and of me. That would be very (laughs) Section 31 of me. Hence, I love doing podcasts with an improviser.
1: I'll go first. The first one I picked out was from The Next Generation. Of course. And it is Season 6, Episode 10, Chain of Command Part 1. Right. Chain of Command Part 2 is the one that gets all the glory. That is Picard captured by the Cardassians being interrogated. There are four lights. We get to hear the Cardassian talk about... How Cardassian culture has evolved from artists to military industrial complex. Chain of Command Part 2 is definitely the high point. But Chain of Command Part 1 is the infiltration mission that leads up to Picard's capture.
0: And that's full Black Ops. Yeah, it's full Black Ops. They
1: are literally dressed in black head to toe. It is Worf, Crusher, and Picard. They go on a mission together, and they are all wearing basically scuba diving suits with backpacks. very hot. And they spend much of this episode training on the holodeck in preparation for the mission. They're in caverns. They're trying to beat their best time. They're complaining about sore muscles. The Crusher is in 10 Ford at one point saying, sore doesn't even start to cover it. And Troy looks worried and Crusher says, I know, I wish I could talk about it, but I can't. So they're like sworn to secrecy about the mission, even in their training process. And then they head off on the shuttle. They make a stop to find out where they're going. A sweet-talk a Frangi into giving them the information they need before they head to Celtrus Three, the supposed Cardassian weapons research lab. Uh, it was interesting to me that they don't get their briefing from Picard until they are on board the shuttle. So its secrecy around the mission is enjoyable to watch. They spend all this time training their butts off. For a mission, they don't even know what it is Mm. yet. And then once they're on the shuttle, Picard goes, okay, you're probably wondering where we're going, what we're doing, and why you were chosen. And they're like, Crusher, you're here because there's a chance there's biological weapons at play and we need you to identify and disarm anything that we come across. I'm in this, Picard because the subspace carrier waves they're using is something that I was an expert in earlier in my career. And Worf, your presence on this mission is obvious. They actually say that. <laughs> But yeah, it's very procedural. Yes. There is the scenes once they're on the mission, it's like there is the scanning for where to go scene. And then there's the repelling down a rock wall scene. There's the phasering a hole in a blocked cavern scene. And there's the climbing through a lava tube scene. All of it is just very kind of like professionals doing a professional job. They've got each other's backs, but there's not a whole lot of character revealed through those scenes
0: it's very much i was watching it when we did the previous one with a Mm. celebration of david warner i was struck at how unlike any other star trek next generation episode it was before where it's it's that episode of this new anomaly or this new species something comes along and it has to be solved or a character development of cultures and stuff like that a moral
1: dilemma to overcome but in this it's very much like we got to get to there and shoot the thing and get out and there's no talking about
0: it It feels very dirty dozen it feels very rogue one it feels very much a case of that World War Two type of where eagles dare or guns of Never going, all right, chaps, we've got this thing to do. We need to work it out. We can't tell you the information until, because Jerry might find out. So we'll just pip, pip, get your training done and keep it to yourself until we go on the mission.
1: I think that's what, part of what I like about these episodes yeah. is that they are a big change of pace. definitely a Deviation from the format in a way that so often in Star Trek, there's a sense that, No matter how bad things get, there's a great big ship around you. And unless the shield percentage gets to zero, you're not actually in trouble. Yes. Whereas when these things, when you're out on your own and there's a point where a lava tube collapses on top of Beverly Crusher and the rocks pour down on her and you think, wow, she's actually getting hurt. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, Chain of Command. Don't skip the first part, no. I guess. The other big thing that's going on in this is like Riker dealing with a new captain in Captain Ronnie Jellico. Cox. Yeah, and it's really good. Just the, <laughs> It is, again, a professional procedural that nothing that, that Captain Jellicoe is ordering is actually unreasonable. But Geordi and Riker both arc up and go, this is arbitrary change. And the guy's like on a power trip yeah. And we don't want to adapt. And no one is right, except maybe Jellicoe's right, because ultimately he's the boss. He gets Troy to wear a regulation That's uniform. That's right. Yeah. And she looks way better in that regulation uniform. I don't know why she doesn't wear that
0: all the time. I miss the tunics um, of Farpoint.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really good. The yeah, the sense of we're going to see a workplace drama here in this first episode of Chain of Command, I uh, I really recommend it.
0: Oh, it's great. I'm so glad to have watched it for the first time with our previous episodes to go back to celebrate David Warner and to find yeah. that first part and going, Warner's nowhere inside. But it's, yeah, it's such a step away from what the usual Next Gen episodes that I had seen before then. What's your first one? I'm stretching it a little, but I am going to, to my default, D Space Nine. We're going to season five, episode 15 by Inferno's Light. Now, this Ooh. is right in the heart of the early days of the Dominion War. It's been going for about a year or so. And I wanted to focus on what you're talking about, like when you are cut off. How do our characters survive when they don't have that security blanket of a ship, or especially D Space Nine, an entire space station? And so this is at the heart of the Dominion War. We've got the Cardassians are building up their strength. The Dominion are making their way in. There's an uneasy alliance at the moment between the Klingons and the Federation. And we have some of our heroes cut off and they are in a Dominion internment camp. So you've got Martok. Oh, we love Martok. We've got Worf. We've got Bashir. And we've got Garrick. We love We've got Garrick. real Bashir. Real Bashir, that's right. And a Changeling Bashir is back on Deep Space Nine. So there's an A plot and a B plot. The A plot is focused on our heroes in the internment camp trying to survive. And their mission is to shut off the shields, get through to a specific area so they could be transported back up onto their runabout which is still up circling the internment camp planet that i
1: on. really love this episode for that reason just how different that time in the internment camp is it's an unusual configuration of characters in an unusual situation and we spend a lot of time there
0: it's it really where d space nine really shines at just how bleak things are like the cardassians are winning and we see how brutal it is there. Like Worf is forced to fight every single day up against Jem'Hadar just for the pleasure of his captors. We've got Changeling Bashir mixing things up and trying to deceive things. This horrible plan of trying to create a supernova to not only wipe out all of Bajor and D Space Nine, but also take down as much of the Federation's fleet as possible because it's a you know, summoning them to this location where there's going to be a big battle and that battle's never going to happen. They're going to be wiped out. It's all this darkness. And plus atop topple that you've gone from a supernova darkness to the deceit of someone in our ranks not being who they are to the brutality of an internment camp and then the darkness of someone having to overcome their own fear and they have to battle it so as to get out and survive. And it's an incredible performance. Garrick is in in one of the greatest performances of Garrick ever in that episode. It's just insane of how everything works together and how brutal they are. So many deaths. Like the Jen hadar killing prisoners and going, I'll kill another one unless you tell me what this is used for. Then a Breen comes in and kills come the Jen Hadar, then the Breen's killed and all crew members and prisoners are killed left, right, and center. A Jen Hadar doesn't kill Worf and so he's going to be killed as well but just as they're teleported away Worf survives but the Jedhadah who saved his life he gets killed it's brutal yeah and then right at the end Cisco and Cart have a debate and at this point Goldedkart's daughter is on the space nine and Cisco says your daughter would have been killed as well and he goes she's not my daughter anymore she made <laughs> a choice weird. and you go yeah oh my gosh so yeah
1: there are a lot of like in this war arc, there are a lot of kind of hitting the low point. Yes. But for me, every time I think of how bad things got during the Dominion War, I think of our characters stuck in that prison. Yeah, Because that's when it felt most hopeless to me.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And it's true that that Martok builds up his respect again for war and how he put himself on the line. And there's that new alliance because there's issues with Gowron on the outside and Martok comes in and goes, no, nah, I'm completely 100%. I've seen what Worf has done. He has got nothing but honor and the fight that Garrick had to do for his soul, for his mind to keep on doing this and how successful he was to push himself beyond reason and sanity. It's that whole thing of when you lose, like we talked about, all that security blanket, the security blanket is gone everywhere that we thought was safe isn't and the people we thought we could trust. And there's a flipping line at the end when Miles doesn't realize that Bashir was a changeling. He goes, Oh, I should have realized he doesn't annoy me as much as you do. <laughs> um, oh, Brian, Wow, So yes, yeah. that's why I focus on because the mission is there to get out of the camp.
1: Yeah, um, it's not an it's not a premeditated infiltration, but they definitely each, behind enemy lines. And each, have role, each
0: have their role. Each have their role to help each other out, and how they get through this desperate situation of when the safety blanket of the federation all your ship is gone and all you've got is each other
1: i think the fact that the dominion war is such a big deviation from form in star trek history means that a lot of these behind enemy lines missions will naturally occur during wartime and my next pick is also A Dominion War story. This is Deep Space Nine, Season 6, Episode 16, Change of Heart.
0: Ooh, Change
1: of Heart. This is during that lovely period that you love so much, Rob, after Worf and Jadzia are married. And we get to see stories about a happily married couple in the Star Trek universe. And in this one, Worf and Dax are assigned because everyone else is off on mission. They're the last two people left available. They're sent off on a runabout to go behind enemy lines and meet with a Cardassian spy who is working as an informant for Starfleet. His Vorta suspects him and he wants to be extracted from where he's working. He has a bunch of intelligence about the presence of the founders in the Alpha and Beta quadrants to share in return, and it's Worf and Jadzia's job to land on a planet, hike through a jungle, and pick this guy up. But it does not go to plan. Jadzia gets shot by a Jem'Hadar early in the mission and is bleeding profusely, and Worf ultimately is faced with the tough choice of, do I save my wife or do I complete the mission? That's right. And the title gives it away, Change of Heart. This is where Worf, for the first time, puts his loved ones ahead of the mission. He tries to complete the mission and leave Judzia behind, and he can't bring himself to do it. He turns back and carries her to safety. That's right. Um, Terry Farrell's work in this episode is extraordinary. Incredible. On paper, it sounds a bit cliche and a bit soap opera. But the pain on her face and the way she tries to make it okay for Worf to leave her behind is heartbreaking. I've seen this episode many times now, and I watched it again today, and it still brought me to tears, even though I knew every beat that was coming. When she wakes up in sickbay at the end of it and is heartbroken, she wants to apologize to Worf for what... She made him do. She feels like she should have been stronger. She should have walked further. And he says, not nothing to apologize for. You're my wife. You come first. Yeah. there's also a great scene between Worf and Cisco, where Cisco says, "It's my job to tell you you made the wrong call, and a reprimand is going on your record, and you will probably never have a command of your own because of this wharf. But as a husband who lost a wife, I'm glad you didn't leave her behind in that jungle. Yeah, So good. Oh, I love it.
0: It's a great one.
1: It is a perfect blend of that sort of behind enemy lines procedural characters like operating without a net in real peril yeah. in a way that feels unusual, but it is character building. It is heartfelt. It brings you to tears in the darkest moments of that. This for me is the best infiltration mission behind Enemy Lines story we've had in Star Trek.
0: Well said. Yeah, it's a beautiful episode. And yeah, what Farrell and Dawn had with their chemistry is just incredible stuff. And yeah, there's just done on just a soundstage with rehashed sets and outdoor facades that they have. Let's shoot
1: the same patch of jungle from a different angle. (laughs) And again, and
0: again, and again. And that's just where the craft of thing comes in and how you can make any space believable if you're good enough.
1: I feel bad for missing it when we were revisiting Worf's greatest moments, because this is a real good
0: one. It's a good thing we've been able to bring it here now. (laughs) It's a great episode. Well spotted.
1: You got a number two, Rob?
0: I do. This is a different type of infiltration in a different way. After we talked about tacking into the wind Mm. a couple of weeks ago, we're going on to the very next episode of that, Season 7, uh, 23, which is Extreme Measures, where Bashir has to go on a mission inside the mind of, of Sloane. To, to get the cure, who's from Section 31, obviously, to get the cure for the disease that has uh, affected Great the Changeling. to
1: this week's episode of Picard. They, in the conference room, they talk about yeah. how Starfleet developed that virus and then delivered the cure. And it was all thanks to O'Brien and Bashir extracting that secret from the mind of Section 31
0: mm-hmm. operative. Going out of the safety of their reality and into the reality of someone's mind.
1: I don't remember any of the details of what they found in there. Uh, this sounds like a weird one to it's me.
0: A weird, it's it, the great William Sadler is there as Sloan, a brilliant actor. You may remember him as the Grim Reaper. From the Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey and most recently Bill and Ted's Face the Music. Incredible actor, great actor, wonderful actor playing Sloane. A
1: very different character.
0: <laughs> very different character. To A little the, less comic. To the base playing Grim yeah. Reaper, They Malvin Bee. But you see those different incarnations of Sloane's mind. So you've got the one that feels guilty and wants to apologize to his mother and father for betraying Starfleet and wants to give the cure away. But then that... Sloan is executed by the 31 version of Sloan. And you know, what is reality? What can they believe? Time is running out. If they don't get out soon, Sloan will be brain dead and therefore they will be dead inside his mind. They're trying to find this cure, not only for the greater good of the dominion war, but also we've got that, that danger of Odo is there dying and he's sent off Kira, who has to go and train the Cardassians. (laughs) because they're liberating against the Dominion, which is a a, a great thing. Only in Star Trek D Space Nine would you have a freedom fighter who is going up against the Cardassians at the end of their seven-year arc has to now go to the Cardassians and train them to liberate Cardassia. I find that hilarious. But yes, inside the mind of Sloane, and I'm sure we could cover this in how science within the mind is explored within Star Trek and all that internal stuff. I've We've had moments of that like in lower mm. decks with with certain characters before they become hybrids and all that type of stuff mm. like with Rutherford yeah. but yes this is a, all the safety net is taken away and the mission is O'Brien and Bashir working together and working to the heart of this character to find out what they need
1: is there a dilemma here like is there a sense that O'Brien and Bashir are ultimately crossing a line like I'm seeing the title extreme measures and I'm wondering are, are they at the end of the day doing something regrettable here or something that feels like, well, this is the cost of, it, yeah. of winning this war? It is
0: that case of extreme measures within the extremeness of war. It's never a moral dilemma of going, we're going inside the mind. They're going, this is dangerous. So it's all about the danger of going inside someone's mind who is dying and will be brain dead soon. And we need this. And the only way we'll get this information is oh, this way. Yeah.
1: That's right. It's so morbid yeah visiting a dying mind
0: yes yeah yeah yeah. and so it's and losing all that that safety and security and it could be you need to find this because if there is no hope after this and Bashir and O'Brien have that quite humorous relationship back and forth tete-a-tete type of thing but to have them in this situation and how they pull each other out of how they justify it to each other is a good moral balance to have
1: yeah, it's a good one. We're definitely revisiting this, like, final chapter. And that's what's called on Memory Alpha, by the way. The last nine episodes of Deep Space Nine are called The Final Chapter. It's considered an arc, and it feels like we are mining that period of Star Trek history pretty deeply this season on Star Trek Picard. So it's no wonder it, we're being brought back to that.
0: There's so much changing lore reestablished and confirmed within these final arc within the deep space nine dominion war period and so much that us as deep space nine fans have been longing for for so long i think i've talked about before going this is crucial this is universally crucial stuff and no one's talking about it and now Mm -hmm. decades later they're finally not reinventing the past of Star Trek. They're finally going into the future of this future world.
1: What were the last questions we asked that we didn't answer? Yeah, and let's, finally there being- find some answers. Yeah, yeah.
0: What does this mean of going like, they've got this unstoppable creature, let's wipe them out with genocide and a virus. And then Picard saying almost offhandedly go, oh yeah, and by the way, we found a cure as well. Okay, so we're not completely the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> the moral line being drawn. It's great to have that yeah. finally be explored, whether it be 20, 25, 30 years later.
1: That those questions are still worth answering after all this time speaks to the strength of that original storytelling.
0: And it shows there are more stories that can be told. Yeah. And through other characters more than just the ones that we have been mining for the last three seasons but yes so that was that was my other one bit of a divergent away from that but the mission within someone's mind and the danger dangerous stakes that that raises really tickled my interest to explore with this world of black op operations for this episode i
1: enjoyed going on that unplanned mission with you rob that was fun i
0: love the fact that you brought in a deep space nine episode we talked about yeah we talked about three this week (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah don't put it past me i know <laughs> some deep space now oh look
0: i do not mean and to imply that i shortchange you in any way shape or form <laughs> um <sighs> so yes we're back next week with episode seven and we're in a pretty dire situation we've just found out that they have got the body of Jean-Luc
1: We've definitely got a ticking clock now Less than 48 hours to Frontier Day There's no more time for deep and meaningfuls in the bar Is all I'm saying, Rob
0: Look, it's not a bold prediction But I think we will see that bar At least least three more times (laughs) (laughs) The final moment, everyone together again Having one last drink Maybe tipping their hat to someone who's moved on (laughs) In that frigging bar
1: yeah. Alright, let's see if we're right Talk to you next week, Rob
0: See you around the galaxy
1: Ah, oh, you did it to me